Hey guys, before we get into the show, just want to say that the audio from this interview was a little bit choppy with our guest, John Vogel. He was calling from across the globe, but that being said, he did have a ton of great insight about Baker Mayfield. He's been on Baker these last couple of years. So still wanted to, to get this interview on for you to listen. So appreciate you bearing with us here and now on to the show. Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, and on today's episode, I am joined by a very special guest. We've got John Vogel for you. John is currently uh, is serving in the National Guard, but he is also a fantastic follow on Twitter. He is a draft analyst, owner of NFL Sapien, and draft right does tons of great work around the senior bowl as well. The draft, all of these great things. John, how are you doing on this Sunday night for you, Sunday morning for me? I'm doing great, Henry. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. It's July. It's inching towards training camp for the Browns. It's getting here faster than I thought, which means football, actual football games are, are right around the corner. And John, the reason I wanted to bring you on today is because I first ran into your work uh, back when the Browns were drafting with the number one overall pick in 2018. And you at that time were already a, a Baker Mayfield defender in the sense that you had him as the number one quarterback on your board. I was not like you. I had Sam Darnold as the, the number one quarterback uh, uh, in that class. And then, you know, continuing on, you've done tons of, of great work on Baker as well. So I wanted to bring you on because you know, Baker has been a huge storyline in the in the past couple of weeks in Browns Nation because of the potential extension talks that should you know that are going on right now. You know, the some national media personalities have talked about it, uh, but also there's been reports about how the, you know there hasn't been any progress made, things like that. So let's start. Let's go back. Like I mentioned, uh, back to 2018. What originally? made you so high on Baker coming out of school then? Because you were really, I think, against the, the consensus at the time. Yeah, so really it kind of goes back to uh, 2000, I want to say 2015, when Baker was playing, I think it was his second start with Oklahoma, and they played Tennessee. I'm a big Tennessee fan. I live in Tennessee. It's been, uh, that's, that's my hometown, home state, whatever you want to call it. So I bleed orange. And we were getting ready to play Baker, and uh, nobody was talking anything good about him. He was a walk-on at Texas Tech, and, you know, he walked on to Oklahoma, and here he is now about to start against the Falls, which were at the time were rising with Bush Jones. So we were thinking this would be a win. He came out and he impressed in that second half, and there was something special about him. kind of kept my eye on him throughout you know, his career. And in 2016, he went off you know, his junior year at Oklahoma. That's about the time when um, I started thinking this I was a legitimate NFL prospect, but I wasn't. I was just getting into NFL draft media. 2016 is the first year that I did any real NFL draft scouting. Uh, I liked Carson. I liked that, that class. But I, would, I knew I was new to the game, so I just was. I'm the type of person I like to sit back and wait because see what people say. You know about about people. Uh, see what the consensus is, the experts. And so nobody was talking about him. I started talking about him. You know, um, right back there, late October, early November, I think I dropped this article on the, my personal blog. I wasn't writing for anybody at the time. I was still bringing it. And uh, I compared him to, you know, his skill set to John Elman. As it says, he's a great arm. He has the mobility. He can get out of the pocket. He's a winner. He's a grinder. It's, it's almost John Elway all over again. He does have a great arm and great release. Uh, those are two things that we commonly see out of quarterbacks that do well in the NFL, you know, being able to put the ball pretty much in the slot. We saw him do that at Oklahoma. Now, the Oklahoma system was a little bit different back then in the sense that 
Lincoln Riley was new to the scene. You know, Baker was very familiar with the system. They had built it really well. They had a lot of explosive playmakers, and nobody played defense in the Big 12. So that was all the arguments against him. But you saw the leadership. You saw the passion for the game. And that was exactly what Cleveland needed. So I became a believer. I thought he needed to go to Cleveland ASAP. And I thought he was the only guy in that class that they could take a quarterback, and maybe even for the next couple classes. Looking at it. That could change the culture. And that's why I thought he was the best fit for, for uh, Cleveland in terms of his talent. His arm was always vastly underrated. You know, you saw him make 60-yard throws. You saw him throw people open. You saw him throw with anticipation. And there weren't a lot of people that really started talking about that until he went to the Seattle Bowl. So I just liked the arm. I thought he was more bubble. I wanted to give him credit for it. He's an excellent play extender in the sense that he keeps the structure of the play alive when he gets out of the pocket. And then, you know, the leadership. The leadership and the grinding type uh, mentality he has. The intangible aspect is, I, I think, what has drawn Browns fans to be so loyal to Baker Mayfield, no doubt. I, I think I, at the time, just had questions about, okay, this, you know, at, at, there's the Russell Wilsons, there's the Drew Breeses, but is he going to be, you know, physically limited in other ways? His arm was extremely strong, as you mentioned, coming out of college, but was he going to be able to hold up? And I was just like, ah, the Browns have struggled so much at, at the quarterback position. You've got the classic, you know, Sam Darnold, 6'3", guy out of USC, and, like, they're really going to go in this other direction? Like, I don't know. That's that's such a big swing to take uh, when, when you've struggled at the position for so long. And then he comes out in, in, in that season, his rookie year, since the rookie touchdown record. It proves all of the doubters, including myself, wrong to a certain degree. And it, it really looks like the Browns are on the right track. Everybody's hyping them up for 2019. And 2019 is a disaster. Freddie Kitchens is the head coach. He's over his skis. Baker throws 21 interceptions. Yeah. And his story is part of what makes him so difficult to evaluate. So, I mean, you see in 2018 all of the things that you were talking about. 2019 comes along. John, was was it all the circumstances? Was it Freddie Kitchens? Was it the offensive line? Was it, it, or were there things that you saw in Baker Mayfield in 2019 that for some reason weren't an issue in 2018 in the same way? You know, the thing that really stood out, out about 2019, I'm going to bring up, there was a Sunday night game against the Los Angeles Rams. And Baker looked good at times in that game, and then other times he didn't. And they, they brought in the next-gen stats during the broadcast, and they talked about, they showed the stats where he had to get the ball out in less than two and a half seconds or something like that. He was near flawless. And when the play extended over, he was, it was a train wreck. It was a disaster. So I think the problem was last year, 2019, with the Browns, they didn't have two solid tackles on that offensive line. Their interior was solid, and that's why they were able to run the ball to some extent but you saw the tackles were repeatedly abused, especially when they went up against teams with, you know, star caliber edge players. And you have to remember, too, the way that NFL teams are designed right now, the championship caliber defenses, the best ones in the game, all have star pass rushers, at least one, usually two, guys that can win one-on-ones on the edge because that's what you're looking for. That's where all the money's going right now is to edge players that can win and beat those high-end tackles, and they didn't have high-end tackles to counter that. When you are disrupting the pocket from the outside, like, and you're not creating a space or a lane for your quarterback to kind of move up into, that causes all kinds of problems. Or, you know, the quarterback trying to make a quick decision. So when they could get the ball out quickly, when they were able to rely on the interior part of their offensive line, they saw some success. When they didn't, when he had to extend the play, he had nowhere to go. They were being, he was bad. So, I think that was a big part of it, was having the two tackles being out and not being a factor throughout the entire season. The other part was, yeah, there were some tensions uh, scheme issues that kind of, you know, Baker was trying to do too much at times, trying to lift the team, trying to carry it. 
And, you know, he talked about it after the year. He was like, look, I didn't put in the work that I needed to this year, and I've realized that, you know, and I'm going to come back next year, and it's going to be a different year. Um, I think he said that actually on NFL Live while they were doing their Super Bowl coverage. So you saw that happen in 2020. He put in the work. The scheme changed, and it was a better fit for him. And then they've got, they got him some protection on the outside, a couple tackles that held up all year and in the playoffs. I think the counter-argument should be that it, Baker didn't necessarily overcome a lot in, in 2019. Now, it, as you mentioned, he was up against a lot. Kitchens, the schematics, the offensive line. And then you get to the, the, the better offensive line in 2020, and it's difficult. And throw in Kevin Stefanski as well from the schematic standpoint. And I think what Baker Mayfield skeptics would say is, well, if it's all dependent on his surroundings, you know, what what's, is there any actual difference between Baker in 2018, Baker in 2019, and Baker in 2020? What, what yes. did you say to that? Yeah, so it's exactly what he admitted when he was on that show. Where he, the, the specific thing that he admitted out was that he relied on his playmakers too much. You have to remember, at the start of the 2019 season, they had Darvis Landry coming back, and they went ahead and they traded for Odell. You know, and then they signed, I believe they signed Kareem. Was that 2019 or was that 2020? They signed Kareem. 2019. Yeah, so you, you got him after six games, too. And you had Nick Chubb, who's a rising star in the NFL at the time. He had killed it at Georgia for years. You know, so he knew that he had weapons, and you saw him making those bad decisions, trying to force the ball to those weapons, especially to Odell Thomas. And that's what he was kind of talking about, where he wasn't putting in the work that he needed to. He was, there's a learning curve that every rookie kind of has to learn. And you saw that, you know, too, he watched hard knocks and he was a rookie. You know, and the coaches, the coaching staff pounding on him at the time, being like, look, you need to put in this work. You need to work within the scheme what we give you. And you saw, even though he had to start playmakers in 2020, you saw that improvement, that jump, you know, from 2019 to 2020. Because look at the, how many times he was thrown to the number three receiver, like Damian Ratley, and then when Ratley got hurt, then it was uh, the rookie out of Michigan, Donovan Peoples-Jones. You know, those guys became consistent targets. He started getting the ball to all the tight ends. He, you know, he was distributing the ball. He shouldn't be in that system because that's how it's designed to be. You know, so that's the main difference, I think, between Baker in 19 and Baker in 20 is Baker kind of learned the hard way in 19 that look. He can have great playmakers, but I still have to wait for them to get open. You know, I still have to make good decisions in the football and not try to force things because I'm not invincible. I think I, I agree with you that the decision making improved quite a bit in, in 2020. You could see Baker in, in 2019, in particular, trying to force a lot of throws. He's an accurate quarterback, but it was a lot of throws. It was like, hey, one read, and we're just going to jam it in there. And a lot of times it resulted in you know, interceptions, batted balls, all of those kind of things. You could really see the the, the maturity uh, in that. And I think an interesting question will be, you know, when Odell Beckham comes back, you know, does he feel that pressure uh, again a little bit? Because... I don't really think he was feeling it in the same way in 2020, but I I do still think there was at times where it was like, okay, Odell does need to get involved here as in the game. And Kevin Stefanski did a nice job of mixing Odell into the run game and some other things like that. But yeah. that would be my one concern is, hey, it's true, he was a much better distributor last year. He also lost the one guy that would probably demand the ball on a, on, a, on a, the most consistent basis, too. Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, just to go back to what you're talking about with the one reads and stuff, that's getting right back into that offensive line problem they had in 19 with not having enough time to get the ball to get the ball out. So when your quarterback is struggling like that, when you know that you don't have an offensive line that's going to protect him, you're going to call a lot of those throws, one read throws, and that was one of the issues that they ran into, you know, where people started picking up on that. They started playing a lot more press on those receivers and trying to jump those routes, you know, anticipating the one read throw and the quick screens and whatever they were trying to run. So if Odell does come, let's say Odell comes back 
Is he going to try to force the ball? I think you're going to see some shots. I do think that I don't think he's going to be as reckless with the football because he did learn his lesson. But that is what your playmakers are there for. Take the shots, get the one natural up throw to go. And, you know, I think that's what he... We're going to see that. He's going to throw it better because he's not going to be making those decisions where he's rolling out, running for his life, trying to force a football on a shot play to the mode. No. And I think that's Browns fans' hopes, for sure, because Odell is a great weapon if utilized correctly, and they saw that in in the seven games he played last season. Odell was really dominant at times. There was the Cowboys game, and even the Bengals game where he made a long catch down the field. Uh, He was relatively quiet in that game, and then all of a sudden, there was a huge shot that ultimately changed the game. So, Browns fans obviously will be hoping that that Odell's, you know, comes back and integrates nicely into this offense because this offense was so successful last year, both with and without him. And so, I I do want to get to Kevin Stefanski's impact on, on, on Baker because last year was easily his best year. Yes. The rookie year was was solid. Obviously, you know, he set the touchdown record, which was great. But last year was, uh, you know, really market improvements uh, across the board for Baker Mayfield. And you see that in the various stats and all of that. So what changed with Kevin Stefanski from a schematic standpoint, from, uh, you know, from utilizing Baker's strengths? What, what did Stefanski do that Freddie Kitchens and the other play callers before him did not do? So what, what Stefanski brought from Minnesota was a brash style of football defense. You know, when you watch Freddie Kitchens, he had two great running backs. He had a good interior offensive line, but they didn't run the ball like they did last year. And so what he kind of did to unlock the run game like that was he, he used a lot of tight end motion. He used a lot of fullbacks all over the formation. You know, uh, I forget the fullback's name right now. I can't remember. But he was, he was motioning everywhere. You know, sometimes he'd be lined up as a tight end. You had, a, you had three tight ends already, and I could throw a fullback in the mix, and they would run all kinds of motion pre-snap, and then you had to grab a mix job going up the middle for Kareem Hunt to the outside or whatever you were going to run. And so Stefanski's scheme is basically traditional football with a modern twist on it in the sense of we're going to run the football first to establish the throw because a lot of things now throw to establish the run, you know, to get the defense to back off. They have a running backs that can grind through the tackles and make things happen. So what they started utilizing a lot more was the play action because they had that run threat of Nick Chubb, Bruton Hunt, that, that just dynamic backfield duo. The play action is something that Baker throws really well, especially off the bootleg. And you saw a lot more bootleg incorporated into the Browns offense in 2020 because that's what Baker does well. Get him outside of the pocket, let him see the field, make a good decision. And they designed a lot of flood-type concepts, too, because when a defense is going up against a good stiff run like that, they're going to play a lot of zone. And flood concepts are a great way to zone. So it was more so that the pieces were finally put together. Freddie Kitchens liked to do a lot of razzle-dazzle. You know, he felt like that's what they kind of had to do was a lot of trickery, especially when things started going poorly, to try to make up for the lack of hack. Um, that didn't work very well, as we all saw. You know, and that's why Kitchens is not a head coach in the NFL right now, because uh, he wasn't ready to command that team. I think uh, everybody kind of saw that. But from a cosmetic standpoint, you had all these great weapons, and you were unable to find a way to use them. Stefanski did that. Stefanski created the system. Essentially, tweaked what Kirk Cousins does uh, in Minnesota, and just Baker was able to flourish out of that. Go back to the flood, the flood concepts for a minute. Explain to our listeners what that means in terms of uh, how, how you, that beats a zone. Right. So a flood concept is where the entire play moves from one direction to the other. So let's say I'm going to flood right. So I might, if I want to run a bootleg call, which you saw the Browns run a lot of, I'm going to fake a handoff to the left because I want the defense to shift to the left. And then I'm going to send all my receivers, tight ends, any receiving option. I might have three or four in different levels of the field to the right. 
So my right outside is going to stop later. He's going to run and go. He's going to run for the end zone. He's going to try to take the deep safety and the corner playing underneath with him. Um, that's what you saw Jarvis Landry doing at times. Odell, when he was healthy. And then when, hell, when he came out, uh, that was your number three receiver. So they, they mixed it. They did a good job mixing it up. The tight end typically leaks out of the formation uh, and goes to, and runs a drag. So what you're basically creating is a level. So when Baker gets into his bootleg and he rolls out to his right, the way that he's reading the field is he has a receiver that is close, he has a receiver that is in the intermediate, and he has a receiver that's a deep part of the field. And all he has to do is read the coverage. Essentially, whoever's playing that boundary, like that flat, uh, which is the few yards on the outside beyond the line of scrimmage. So if the corner... If he's playing off and he's playing deep, you know you have a wide-open target underneath in the drag by your tight end. It'd be Austin Hooper or Harrison Bryant or David Joku, whoever you're sending there. If the corner comes up and he plays close, you're going to throw to the intermediate or the deep level, depending on where the, what the safety did and how the safety reacted. So it's all about creating a quick read for the quarterback, keeping all of his targets in front of him, and just making it simple. Um, that's, I'm looking at one or two different defenders and making an accurate read and making the correct decision to get the ball out. Yeah, and, and it makes so much intuitive sense as well because you know, how do you beat a zone? You stick more guys in there than, than they can pick up, and then you know you, you force the, the secondary players to make decisions as well. And I'm sure Browns fans can all picture the you know a, a versions of, of this where. Baker Mayfield ran a play action where he boot like to his left. It felt like that play was unstoppable for the Browns at times this year. Yeah. It's like, why don't they run this every single time? Baker, they, they, you know, the play action off the handoff to Nick Chubb uh, where everything's flowing right. All the receivers come back left, and it felt like you know, the dump off to the tight end was open. Intermediate pass to Jarvis, oh, yeah, open, all that kind of stuff. So uh, that's why I wanted to make sure we got that in there. John, the thing is, I think from, again, some of the, the Baker Mayfield skeptics, there was a lot of criticism about the fact that a lot of his numbers came off of play action. That, hey, if Baker wasn't playing with that successful of a run game, if he was you know forced into more pass-obvious situations, he's not really capable of delivering, go look at his numbers, it all comes off of the play action where he's getting these easier reads. Is it, you know, obviously play action has been very efficient in the NFL, but is it that simple or is it more complex? Is Baker doing other things that people aren't giving him credit for there? Well, Baker's been doing all kinds of different stuff. And that's just, a, I mean, if you, the very key things that we're looking for is quarterback first off is arm strength. That's the first thing that's going to pop on tape. After that, we're looking at the release, we're looking at the footwork, we're looking at, you know, the way that he works in the pocket. And he does all of that very, very well. His release is very tight. It's probably a top five release, honestly, um, in terms of quickness and just the, the beauty of the motion that he has in the NFL right now. From a footwork standpoint, so this well, now we're getting into some more mechanical type stuff at the quarterback position. He does, he does it all really well. I mean, so one of the big keys with footwork is you want to keep your feet active. You want to be able, because angling is everything when making the throw. If I'm going to throw over the middle, I want my feet to be set so that my front plant, my plant foot, the, the foot that I'm going to step into throw in Baker's sense of his left foot, is pointed basically at the middle of the field. And that goes for the same with the throwing to the right or to the left. Now, you can step into a throw with your back foot, your right foot. One that you're kind of stepping off of to step into, right? You're stepping into your left and then throw. If that is facing the middle of the field and I'm trying to throw to the left, I'm going to lose a lot of accuracy. And that's another thing Baker does well is angling. So that's why you want the, that happy footwork, the constant footwork in the, in the pocket. Because you might have to angle a ball off very, very quickly because that end might be crashing off, you know, your blind side. You have to get that ball, you have to get set up an angle and get that ball out very fast. And that's something that he does really well, too. In the sense of, from a schematic standpoint, did he see less uh, in more obvious passing situations? Yes. And I think you can point to any quarterback in the NFL 
and make the same argument against Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, et cetera, and so on and so forth. Because if you're in an obvious pass situation, the defense is going to be playing to that obvious pass situation and taking away a lot of the throwing lanes because they're relying on you not having an open receiver to throw to and having to do something else. So it is true that most of his success last year from a schematic standpoint was off of play action, and he is still developing as a straight-up, you know, pocket, whatever, thrower, however you want to describe that. But getting outside of the pocket, moving, maneuvering within the pocket, keeping the play alive with his feet, he does all that really well. And especially we saw that against in the second match of Baltimore, uh, when they were coming back a couple times, he really moved well in the pocket, got out of the pocket when he wasn't supposed to, but didn't lose the play structure. You know, there's a difference between improv and play extended. That's, another, that's one of the things I like to preach about. Uh, so pardon me if I'm on this rant. But basically when you have, uh, when you're improv it's basically you're working with your receivers, and the play is completely busted, it's broken, they've run through their, their route, now they have to work back to the quarterback. That's more of your improv. Uh, when, you're, when you're extending the play, they're still in their route. You're still performing the play even though the pocket's broken down. And that's what Baker does well. So all those things combined, I think that works out really well for him. So, John, that being said... <laughs> Uh, yeah, a lot of his success came from the play action, but he's also got a lot of other things going for him. And I think in your mind, he does have the arm strength. He does have some other special traits. What did you make of Mike Tannenbaum's most recent comments uh, about Baker Mayfield, calling him a replaceable part? Because that really got Browns fans up in arms, uh, I would say, over these last two weeks. And has been, you know, Dan Orlovsky has been on the other side of that in many of those clips saying, hey, this is not replaceable. What what did you think of Tannenbaum's comments about Mayfield, given the fact that, yes, clearly there were some schematic changes that also benefited him this season? So, I don't like to be one to bring up some sort of dis- to disrespect somebody. Uh, that's I don't like doing that, but in this case, uh, Mike Tannenbaum was the general manager for the New York Jets um, from, I believe, 2007 to 2012, and then again with the Miami Dolphins from uh, 2014 to 2016. I made a tweet, I think it was about the time he released that, where I pointed out all of the quarterbacks uh, that he's drafted uh, by their draft position, uh, basically none of them hand out. I guess you could make an argument for Kellen Clemens um, being a good backup quarterback in the league, but considering he taking in the second round in 2007, when in the second round you were hoping to get a developmental starter, I, I don't think that's a great track record uh, to be going up there talking about quarterbacks and being replacing. But just from a, a standpoint of what Baker has brought that's invaluable to Cleveland is the culture change. I mean, that was the number one reason that they really drafted them. If you talk to John Dorsey or anybody like that who was in the building at the time, was they felt like Baker had the tools to be something special, but it was really the culture that they needed to set. And Cleveland's gone through so many starting quarterbacks, and it's everybody knows that it's been well-documented. I mean, you see the tweets where they have the Cleveland uh, victory parade from the NBA Finals, and they're like, hey, look, there's all Cleveland starting quarterbacks all in one place. I mean, it's a joke. Baker has put an end to that for the first time really since Tim Couch. But there's optimism where there wasn't with Tim Couch at the time. You know, there wasn't nearly as much optimism. You weren't thinking that Tim Couch is going to be a star quarterback where we have a chance for Super Bowls. That wasn't really the thought process in Cleveland. It was more so we're trying to get in time to develop and it's not panning out. Um, you're seeing Baker pan out. You're seeing a lot of good stuff. And just the leadership. He's, he's, a, he's an example. Players want to play with him. You know, Odell wanted to be traded to Cleveland. Back in, you know, a certain time of day, like this five years ago, nobody wanted to get traded to Cleveland. That was a death sentence to your career. Baker's changed a lot of that. The people in the front office have done a great job building the roster and kind of utilizing that to get players and want the players want to play for Cleveland, want to be a Brown, and want to be a part of something special. Because there is something special. 
You can't you can't coach intangibles. You can't coach leadership. That just comes naturally. And the fact that he brings that and he's changed the entire Cleveland culture into one that they work hard, they work as a team, they work as a unit. For years they were individuals. I've talked to a lot of different players that talked about that when they were in Cleveland. Uh, Javon Hay, for example, was a defensive tackle with the Carolina Panthers who signed a one-year deal with the Cleveland Browns, and he wanted to get the hell out of there like week eight because every, nobody was about being a team. You know, and that was, the, that was the, you know, reputation in Cleveland. It's, that's not the reputation anymore. That's invaluable, and I don't think Mike Tannenbaum really understands that. The culture change is dramatic. There's no doubt, and it's Baker is a key piece of it. I think Stefanski also brought a, a, a nice level of discipline as well. But you see it as far as the team camaraderie. You see it as far as the stability. And Mike Tannenbaum. The other point I didn't really get about this is he he was like, oh well, Baker's like the sixth or seventh best quarterback in the AFC, and I was saying. Even if that's the case, you're making a Browns fans' points for us because there are those pictures of the jersey with 20 different names on the back that the Browns have had since 99 or whatever the, the total was pre-Baker Mayfield that have started a game. So we know that even the 12th best quarterback in the league is not a replaceable part by any means. If anybody knows that, it's Browns fans. That is not something that just grows on trees by any means. But, John, what I want to ask you is, where do you see Baker Mayfield in the current hierarchy of NFL quarterbacks? As I mentioned, you know, Tannenbaum said sixth or seventh best in the AFC. Talk to me about the whole league. Where do you see him kind of slotting in among NFL quarterbacks right now? Yeah, so this is, this is obviously a key. There's a lot of debate around this. I've made the argument that he could be considered top five. Because of what he has brought, what he can do, I know that's not a very popular take. I definitely think he's top ten in the league at this current point because there's not many guys that I would want to take uh, and build my team around other than Baker Mayfield. Obviously, um, obviously you have Brady. Obviously, you have Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Um, you have, I guess, you could make Russell Wilson's probably for his experience. Uh, Dak Prescott, maybe. There's a few others that you can throw out, like Jackson, if you like that style. The problem with Lamar is, um, and Raven fans are going to hate me. I know a lot of Ravens fans are going to hate me for saying this, but you're so limited schematically for what you can do with Lamar. You have to run that certain run-first, heavy power offense to really get him passing to throw into. And that's kind of why I don't know if he's one of the top quarterbacks. He's definitely one of the top athletes. I wouldn't go as far as to say he's one of the best quarterbacks, you know. But top ten for sure. Um, I would probably put him around seven or eight at this point. Um, and I, I I would put him honestly just ahead of Lamar if I was ranking off of Tannenbaum's list. Just ahead of Lamar, definitely ahead of Joe Burrow. Burrow's a great quarterback, but he doesn't have the arm talent that Baker does. And. Uh, Probably fourth or fifth best in the AFC. So, looking back to that draft class, would Josh Allen be the the guy you still have at the top there, or do you do you have Baker ahead of Josh Allen? So Josh um, has done an excellent job in terms of getting his mechanics together. And when the draft process had first started, I was not a big fan of Josh Allen. Um, it was after his pro day that I really started to warm up to him a little bit because in those few weeks between the Idaho Potato Bowl we played in and the, the Combine and then the Pro Day, you saw immense improvement on his footwork and on his release specifically, which are two things you can really work on during an offseason to improve. Uh, those two things showed me that he was willing to put in the work. He was willing to do what it took to be a quarterback. And so I want to talk to him. Just a little draft ticket here. All right, Trey Lance is probably that guy this year because he took incredible strides uh, between his two pros this year in both of those aspects. So I think Lance will probably rise as much as Allen did. But if 
kind of a toss-up when you look at the two. Uh, Allen's definitely a little bit more mobile. But he's definitely a better runner because he can take more punishment. He's bigger. Um, and he has a bigger arm. You know, So it's kind of hard to put Baker ahead of him at this point. I still, if I'm looking to build a culture, I know Allen does a great job, but I think Baker does have, still have the better leadership. And the, the, the still drop-off isn't too drastic. Um, my personal preference, just being a Baker fan all, you know, pretty much most of his career, um, would be obviously can't, but it's hard from an analytical standpoint to slot him above Allen. Yeah, I, I also find it hard to put him above Allen just because the, the pocket, to me, Allen's still a level above Baker in terms of delivering straight from the pocket. And you mentioned the, the, the other physical traits in terms of Allen's mobility and things like that. I, under, the culture piece of it, of, of course, is important. But it, to me, Allen has still displayed a higher ceiling, at least so far, in the league. Uh, and Allen has, in my eyes, has shown flashes of, hey, he could get into that top echelon of quarterbacks, that rarefied air of a Mahomes, a Rodgers, a Wilson, something like that with, with what he's displayed so far. I'm not sure Baker has shown me quite that level of play as far as the on-field piece of it, John. But do you disagree? Do you? What's your ceiling for for Baker Mayfield as a quarterback? Could he be one of those you know elite guys that that people kind of classify as the top tier one of the NFL? I, I do still see that he could probably get there. Um, I'm going to bring up the same name I used before because I still think that sort of uh, that comp really works with him, and that's John Elway. Um, because their play styles are very, very much similar, you know, in the sense of Elway was willing to take shots. He wanted to roll out of the pocket and make good throws. Uh, he had a good arm, and that's it wasn't the greatest arm in the NFL, but it was good. It was really good, and that's Baker. Um, I think he could potentially have a career like Elway in the sense of once he really gets his footing in the league, and this is the year when you really find out if he's going to keep that footing, if he really did have something special. Um, I do think that he could end up being like Elway, kind of like carrying teams to Super Bowl, maybe not winning them so much, um, depending on whatever, what his talent is around him. Because, you know, everybody knows that Elway really didn't have the key team until his last two seasons in the league when he won those two Super Bowls and cemented his legacy in the NFL. So... I almost see Baker kind of having that kind of a career. I think he could win a Super Bowl sooner. I think they, I think the Browns this year are one of the top four teams contending um, for the Super Bowl. And because because of their scheme, because of Baker and his ability to play in it, and because of the weapons that they have, and now the defense is one of them. They finally went back and they worked the secondary out of John Johnson, uh, really trying to build something to allow you know Jadavon Clowney. Miles Garrett this year to get it for So I like what they've done completely. And Baker, in a sense, he has those tools. He's shown us the, the ability to do it. He lost to probably the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now in the playoffs. Just I think there's a lot of promise there, especially if you see a little bit of a drop off. Jesus. I. I agree with you as far as the team ceiling. I, I think as it, you know, this year and potentially the next year or two, they they're gonna have a pretty pretty complete roster, and, and I think will be in contention. I you know, to me, where I'm at with Baker is that right now I would probably slot him in somewhere between the eighth and fourteenth best quarterback in the NFL, and. Where he falls in that range is a little unclear because of yeah, the, the up and down story that we talked about with him. You know, yes. Is he closer to 2019 Baker? Is he closer to 2020 Baker? If he's the last eight games of the regular season, Baker Mayfield from last year, he's probably pushing the top five like you talked about. What gives me a hope as a Browns fan is that playoff performance. Baker has looked very, very good at the highest levels. And you take a guy like Lamar Jackson, for example, who's 
you know, schematic advantages clearly worked in the regular season, but he's limited. He struggled in the playoffs, you know, against the very top teams, against the very top coaches that, that can game plan for him. Baker in that Kansas City game in particular, I thought was fantastic. Now, I yes. think the game was a little bit, you know, the, the game got skewed by Mahomes' injury because I don't think the Browns defense could stop the Chiefs at all when Mahomes was on the field. That being said, I, I thought the under-talked-about piece of that game was Baker played great. It was just that his defense couldn't stop Mahomes for the first three quarters until Mahomes got hurt. And then when Mahomes got hurt, the Browns were right there. And I thought if they had just stopped Chad Henney on third and 14, that the Browns would have, you know, ended up getting the ball back. And I had faith that they were going to score and actually win that game. So I do think the, the, the ceiling for the team is really high. Baker, I'm still not sure I could see getting into the, the top tier, but just what makes me excited as a Browns fan, I'm like, hey, if he's the sixth best quarterback with a complete team, like, this is a Super Bowl team. Yes. Um, so I'm going to bring up, I'm going to go back to his college days a little bit to kind of talk about, you know, his play at the highest level. And we've seen it throughout his career that, you know, the Big 12 championship game and then in the two playoff appearances that he made, you got you have to remember, they they scored some points on Clemson and went in the next year and beat Alabama and won a national championship. And his last year, they went to double overtime with that Georgia football team, you know, that took Alabama into overtime in the championship game. And that was two of his, uh, two of his under the close runs. But he's always played higher when the game stakes are higher um, outside of maybe the 2019 season. But when he has that team, he's, when they are competitive, he always brings his play up, and he plays up into those games. And, you know, I think that's, if you're a Browns fan, that's where your hope is, because you should be encouraged by his playoff appearances this year. He was phenomenal, you know, and he made a lot of good decisions. I mean, yeah, they... Um, you, you lost to the Chiefs. Chiefs ended up losing a couple of tackles, lost the Super Bowl, which is bringing back that tackle point. You know, Mahomes was harassed that entire Super Bowl game because he lost his left and right tackle in the AFC Championship game. But um, Mayfield has always played at the highest level when the stakes are there. That's where he's put his games in. Look at the Ohio State game, the infamous Ohio State game at Oklahoma. I have faith in him because I've seen him at the highest level where he, you know, in his current status. And he's always played well. And he's always kept his team competitive. He's, you know, he, he doesn't get phased by much. So, as for your hope is, I do think that there's a really good shot they have in the Super Bowl this year. They keep the pieces together next year as well. Um, key players coming in. And they keep drafting well. Uh, they'll, they'll be competitive for the next three, four years. So, there's a lot of hope if you're a Browns fan. I think so, too. Uh, I I do believe in the future of this team, but the I want to end on, on this. is The last thing you brought up is the Browns could be competitive for three, four, five years down the line for Super Bowls. The flip side of that is Baker Mayfield detractors have said that's not true. He needs this roster around him. So as soon as you give him, you know, as soon as he, his rookie contract expires, you're going to be forced to pay him, and this roster is not going to be quite as good around him, and he might not be able to carry a more limited roster that deep in the playoffs. So, John, where do you come out on the Baker, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield extension story? The, the Browns have the opportunity to extend him this season. The, the, apparently, there have been talks, but there nothing really is progressing so far. Would you extend Baker Mayfield, or would you let the season play out? So, like I mentioned earlier, this is the year that you get to find out what you really, really have in him. And it's his fourth year. It's you know, second year. It's full. It's first. It'll be his first full year familiar with the system. Um, that's the key part. So I think I would definitely let the season play out as long as I could um, before extending him. I would be prepared to pay him pretty much whatever he wants. I might, I'm might. i probably not going to make him the highest paid because I don't think anybody's going to touch Mahomes for a while. 
um, unless somebody comes into this league and just takes it over and wins two Super Bowls. <laughs> but uh, I would definitely pay him up in that 40 45 million year range. And yeah, you can make an argument against this how it happened. And he dropped 10 million this year because of COVID 19. But it's also projected uh, to go back up 20 next year. And then after that, you're probably going to, yeah, every year in the last decade, the cap's gone up 10 million in the league. So are you really concerned about a salary cap being able to pay players if you have essentially a 20% raise in salary cap every single year? I'm kind of leaning toward no, not really. I'm not, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. I'd pay him now. Um, because by the time you roll around to his next contract or at the end of his contract, he's going to be cheap. I also, Mom, I would like the Browns to extend him for exactly what you uh, what you just said. I think if anything, you're going to get a discount. The earlier you do it, the better it's going to look on the back end. And I also think that given the circumstances of this current roster in this season. I find it hard to believe that, that Baker is going to play a whole lot worse than he did last year. So if he plays as good as he played last year, you're just going to be paying him more money because Lamar Jackson's going to get an extension, Josh Allen's going to get an extension, and slowly you know, continue to, to increase the market, where by the time Baker comes up, he's going to you know, want to be you know, setting the, the market maybe outside of Mahomes, as you said. So I would like the Browns to extend him. The problem is an extension goes both ways, John. If you're Baker Mayfield, given his personality, you got to imagine he's thinking the same way. Like I'm not taking a discount here, if, if unless you know, unless he wants to do that for the team. But yeah, in terms of his own, you know, maximizing his money, he's probably thinking, hell yeah, I'm going to play better this year. So I think that's the part where it gets very difficult to ultimately reach an extension agreement this off season is. The Browns, you know, it makes sense to do it for them if it's at a slightly discounted number. But for Baker, he's got to be thinking, no way I'm going to take a discounted number because we're about to have a, you know, a double-digit win season for the second year in a row and go to the playoffs again, and then I'm going to have you guys over a barrel for, you know, setting the the market rate here. Yeah, exactly. And just to kind of touch on that cap number and what it looks like on the back, it's a really good example of a contract extension that worked out really well for a team. And uh, it's the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson, because right now he's in the lower echelon of quarterbacks being paid and even competitive every year. Now, they've also traded away their draft picks every year, and they don't have that constant depth coming in, which is really kind of hurt them. Um, so I think if you hang on to your draft picks and you utilize them, you hit on them, um, that works out well for you. But no, that is a good point that you bring up, and I think that's kind of why Baker's kind of hesitant get into this contract because it's already come out. Um, I don't know if it was his team that said it or if it was I don't know who said it, but they said already said he's not taking any discounts, he's not looking to. And I don't think he should. Um, Cleveland's been looking for a quarterback like this for forever. You know, as far as this entire generation of fans can remember. You finally have one. You can't you can't just let him walk and say, well, We'll take, uh, you know, we'll trade up for Spencer Rapper or something like that, and we'll put back around this next draft. Because you don't know if you're going to have that special talent again, you know. So I, I think you're right in the sense that Cleveland is probably wanting this done sooner rather than later. Um, but Baker's probably a little bit more hesitant to tell, hey, so you can reach my number, whatever that number is. I'm not going to sign anything. And that number might go up if we... You know, if we go back to the playoffs and make an AFC championship appearance. Uh, yeah, that's why I think they're in a really tricky spot coming into this year. So my, my hunch is a deal's not going to get done. They're going to let it play out. And hopefully it works out where, yeah, they, they make an AFC championship appearance. And then guess what? The Browns would be happy to pay Baker Mayfield if they, you know, if they're continuing to show that kind of progress and he leads them to an AFC championship. I'll be happy to pay Baker Mayfield whatever the hell he wants if he's going to deliver that kind of success for the Browns. Because, like you said, I am one of those uh, in the generation of Browns fans that cannot <laughs> remember having a, a good starting quarterback. So I am certainly hopeful that, that that's the case, that, that Baker's going to perform at that level, and then it'll just, you know, it'll just be the question is, hey, what's the, the final dollar amount? We're going to get this done. We'll figure it out. And 
that's how I'm I'm hoping and expecting this season to play out. John, thank you so much for coming on and talking Baker with me today. You've done a ton of great work uh, about him these last couple of years uh, on your various websites, your various writing on Twitter with some great video breakdowns as well. So I know I've always appreciated uh, following your work on Twitter uh, and appreciate that you're keeping it up even despite also doing great work serving our, our country abroad. So so thank you for that as well. Of course, and thank you for inviting me on to be a chance to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, this feedback too also is always great, especially from you know guys like you. You know you have you're really in touch with uh, the fan base. So we're so much, you know, because I speak broadly on the NFL and the NFL draft. I don't interact with the fans nearly as much. Um, but that's always good. I think that always helps me to provide her, you know, and analysis get a good feel for where you know the cities are in terms of their teams and their players and. I appreciate you taking the time to invite me and Absolutely, absolutely. And we were talking before this, and John was saying that he's going to be back stateside in time for lots of the big pre-draft events next season and then potentially the NFL draft as well. So, Browns fans, make sure to give John a follow on Twitter. Make sure to read his stuff as well. Uh, he's at draft vocal on Twitter, so I highly recommend him as a follow. That's going to do it for this episode here, Browns fans. Plenty more to come on this feed. Jordan and I will be getting into all of the Baker Mayfield extension news in the second episode of this week and discuss what we think will be the final result there. So stay tuned for that, and until next time, go Browns!